take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brethren, speaking to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth unto them water out of the rock. The rock was already smitten. Who was that rock? The rock was smiting. He'll never be smitten again. Everything points back to Christ. There was no doubt in who Jesus was. Neither by the blood of goats and bulls, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. A little further down, verse 16. Then, he, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull. Which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Where they crucified him and two others with him on one side. And Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. The writing was Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. A little further down. Verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Father in heaven, we are come this morning, dear God, to reflect upon the most... <laughs> The most important event that ever took place in human history since the creation of the world. That was the death of your only son in order to bring us back unto you. Lord God, all our days that we walked without you, we didn't realize, Lord, the danger that we were in. Dear God, the utter destruction, the judgment that was on our heads, Lord, because of sin. But because you so loved us, you prepared, Lord God, a sacrifice for yourself. And here we read in your word, dear God, the account of the Bible. How the Son of God gave up his life, allowed wicked men to kill him in our place. Verse 34, and one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forward came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. For he knoweth that he saith is true, that you might believe. For all this was done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture said, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now, I want you to go back to the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, the 17th chapter. We've used these phrases a lot lately, but uh, the Lord just impressed upon me to go over this with y'all. Again, the account of the children of Israel, after having fled from Egypt, God, you know, 
bought their mighty deliverance by great judgments upon the nation of Israel. Now they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're getting ready to take off towards the promised land. And uh, like a lot of things can happen, you know, problem appeared, but this problem was, was, uh, was God inspired. The Lord was leading them and brought them out into a wilderness, and they found in this wilderness, like you'd find in most wildernesses, you know, for having anywhere from three to six million people and all their cattle, there was no water to drink. Now, that, that is quite a problem. Hello? Amen. Now, we looked last week with how the children of Israel, you know, how they, they complained because they were hungry. They said they got tired of eating this manna. They wanted some meat. And, you know, we looked last week, our Moses was there saying, God, what do we have to do? Kill all the cattle we got in order to give them one meal? He said, no, no, don't worry about that. He said, I'm not going to give them a day's worth or two days or seven days or a week or three weeks. I'm going to let them eat meat for 30 days, a month. He said, ain't no way. Now Moses, the man of God, said, no way. But the Lord said, is the Lord's arm shortened? <laughs> We've seen the miracle of God make a provision. Now here's another one right now with, with water. Listen carefully because they tie into the verses which we read prior. Starting in verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now listen. Uh, you got to admit, they're out there in the dry place and there was no water. And they were thirsty. They had a reason to complain. They had a legitimate need. But you see, it's the thing in our life is how to have legitimate needs met in our life. Does it pay to murmur, to complain, and doubt God? You see, Moses said all of this time what they were doing, they were tempting God, they were putting God to the test. But listen what, what happened. And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? They almost be ready to stone me. <laughs> he was fearing for his life. I mean, he, we watched them. Evidently, people were picking up rocks. They were, they were getting so mad because they, everybody around there was thirsty. They were going to kill him. Mm -hmm. Well, the Lord always has a solution ahead of time. Amen. You know, God's never taken a surprise. The Lord knew what he was doing. He was the one that was leading them with, a, you know, the pillar of clouds by day and the pillar of fire by night. He told them where to stop. Where to, he, he knew exactly where he was going. You can't fool God. Yeah. Uh, it was nothing that took God by surprise. He knew exactly what they would do. But God had to bring them to many spiritual truths which we as Christians have to look back to to understand sometimes. We have hindsight. Don't, don't blame them too much because with all, this, with all the, the, the revelation we've received from God, we still murmur and complain. But you have to learn some of these great spiritual truths. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel. And thy rod. <laughs> hey, this is the old rod. I remember when they had a play one time. Yeah, yeah. Who was Moses? Gene. Gene, I got your rod still. Kept that all them years. Yeah. Take that rod. <coughs> that rod, let me tell you, I don't, all it was was a walking stick that Moses one time, you know, looking for God's will in his life, 40 years, he was in the desert feeding his father-in-law's Sheep. Yep, and then finally he's seen a 
sight that so amazed him, a bush that was burning. And when he met God, says, God said to him, he said, well, you see this rod you got? Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and became a serpent. He says, whoa. Moses started to run from him. He said, well, take it by the tail. It turned back into a rod. What? I don't know what the thing's made of, but man, this is about to give, I think. <laughs> but I mean, when he brought it to Egypt, God said, used this, this piece of stick and not this one. He said, stretch it over the river now. Yeah. Turn the blood. Right. Stretch it to the heavens. Let me tell you, the fly, another time, the lice. Stretch it to heaven. That was hey, mighty. I mean, he used it. Then finally got to the Red Sea, stretched that rod over the sea, and it pulled back right. until they walked over on dry ground. Right. This time, it's a different kind of miracle. Take thy rod, whereas thou smotest the river, into thine hand, and go. And behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. Yeah. And the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Man, can you imagine? The picture is beautiful. Not pretty. But there was, the Lord said, go out there for all the people. The people couldn't see the Lord, but Moses could. And there he was standing, and God told him to take this rod. And, and he smote God. He literally struck God, symbolizing that he would die. And because he smote that rock, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Christ was that rock that followed them in the wilderness. And because of the smiting of that rock, the Bible says, water flowed from it. And there shall come out water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. What a spiritual typology but it was reality yeah. Yeah. there was the Lord standing I mean he appeared to them just as much as he did to you know uh, they, they sat with him at some times and ate with him God says he spoke to Moses fa face to face apparently I mean it wasn't Moses spoke to him as a friend yeah. but now here he had to take up this rod and hit him mm. smite him and because of this smiting water poured forth now we understand the lessons, and we're going to go a little bit further. I need you to go now to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. I think it's chapter 20, but let me double check. Yes, Numbers chapter 20. The event now that takes place is nearly 40 years later. The reason why 40 years later is because the children of Israel, when God brought them in less than a year's time right into the borders of the Jordan River, when they were instructed to go in, when they heard the report of the ten spies that is just what God said, but we don't think we're able, let's go back to Egypt. It so angered God of their disbelief after having seen God do all the miracles He did for them. He turned them out to the desert for 40 years. He said, everyone from 20 years old and, and upward is going to die in this wilderness and not go into that promised land. There was four people that should have went after that. There was Moses and Aaron. Caleb and Joshua. 
Do you know how many it ended up with by the time the crossover went? There's only Caleb and Joshua. Forty years later, they found themselves in the same predicament, the same situation. Here they were in the wilderness. And again, you read in verse 2 of chapter 20, And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses, saying, What God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now, again, Moses learned a lot in this time. It says in verse 6, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their face, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spake to them, saying, Again, what did he tell them to do? Take the rod. Take the rod. Gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brethren, speaking to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth unto them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from the Lord as he would commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water from this rock, from out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts. Now, it seemed like Moses was trying to do something again, but it was totally out of God's will. The lesson that we have to learn today in following the Lord. Number one, 40 years later, don't ask me how, when, why. But the rock for a long time gave water to the nation of Israel. It says the whole time during the wilderness that rock followed them and provided them their waters. But it seemed like the rock stopped flowing. Why? Come on, brother Mike. Hello? Come on. It wasn't flowing any longer. It was the same rock. But this time to get it flowing again, what did, what did they do? Well, evidently what get them started is that they realized that they ran out of water. And when you run out of water, you normally get thirsty. And when you get thirsty, you're automatically going to start looking for water. And there's nothing like that. Boy, especially when it's getting hot right now and you're working outside, man, and you're sweating the beans. And boy, a good, cold glass of water. That's so much good, huh? Why? Because your body has to have water to replenish itself or you're going to die. Now, there's a far, far greater need than water, as much as water is needed. It's a spiritual water you need. That's why Jesus said, I am the water of life. If any man thirsts, come let him drink of me. You see, there's a need that's there, people. So we find the church in the condition that we don't want to see it. But until the, thirst, the church gets thirsty, there could be no outpouring. I mean, as long as they walked, I mean, they could have tried for a long time and said, well, you know, we know God always before they'd give us the water that we needed. We know it's not flowing right now. That's all in God's hands, I guess, what he's going to do. But no, until it becomes a cry coming up into the ears of God, nothing is going to happen. Hello? Amen. Thirsty. I don't know about you. It's getting pretty dry. Getting thirsty. God told him what to do now. One of the greatest, important, I guess, Lessons we can learn, people, is that rock was still there, but somehow that rock wasn't given its water. The water was in it. How do you draw it out of there for what you need? What did God tell Moses? 
go and speak unto this rock. Never told him to hit it. But Moses so irreverenced God that he stood before all the people. He never said to say a word to the people. He was supposed to talk to the rock. He never said a word to the rock, but he talked to the people. Should we draw, should we get water out of this rock for you rebels? God never told him to say that. To just speak to the rock and to bring forth water. He spoke rather to the people and said, we, instead of, instead of saying, well, God is going to give what you need, he said, no, we're going to. No, no, they're not. A mighty man of God like Moses and Aaron was. They were the true intercessor. They were the, the mainstay between them and God. They were the ones who when things went wrong, they went before God and they interceded and God, you know, used them to speak to them. But all of a sudden now, for some reason, I guess Moses was getting, you know, tired of all the <coughs> complainings and murmurings. And he just thought back, how did it happen before? Yeah, God told me to smoke the rock. So I guess if I smoke that rock once, twice would be twice as good. But what a penalty that they paid. They smote the rock when God commanded them to speak only to it. And listen what happened. And the 12th verse says, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not. Now wait, this is Moses and Aaron, the men of God, the one who walked with God, the ones who spake to God face to face. Because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. And this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, I know you all know how the story goes on, but you're going to go into the book of Deuteronomy, the third chapter, you're going to read how Moses began asking God. He was coming to the end of his life, and he knew it. They knew that he was getting ready to cross over to the promised land, and he begged God, said, God, let me see this land. Let me go into this land. And God said, no. He says, I don't want to hear of this no more. Don't mention it again. I'll let you see it. But you're not going in. It was that, 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 that grievous a cause. I didn't say Moses didn't perish. Moses is in heaven. Amen. You know, when the two witnesses appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah, right? I mean, he made it. He walked to his funeral. He went up to the Mount Horb, and there he saw everything, and it says God, you know, he died there, and God buried him. Nobody knows where it is. But like many things, they done made him a, you know, they didn't made an idol out of him. No one knows where he was at. But the lesson we have to learn, that rock was already smitten. Who was that rock? The rock was smiting. It will never be smitten again. We, we, we use this in New Testament, Hebrews chapter 6, which I want you to turn there for a minute. In Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6. Teach us a great lesson again. As Christians, you've been born again. Thank God if you're following the Lord. But you know, like I, you heard me say many times before when I got saved, there's a lot of things I didn't know what the Bible says. Didn't know about Christian experiences. I didn't know that, you know, how much you can go close to God. You can't all you want. The door is wide open. I didn't know what the other side of it. I didn't know any such words as backsliding, apostate, you know. Uh, people failing. I, did, I didn't know anything about it. It was all new to me. All I knew is that I was lost and now I'm saved. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a thirst, but now, I mean, my, my soul is quenched. 
I didn't understand that. But you know, as you grow up in the Lord, even back then in those days, Paul was writing to Hebrew Christians who for some reason or another were giving up, were going back, whether under the old system of Judaism. I don't know what kind of dry spell they ran into. We all run into them at times. But it was given a warning, and it says like in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Hebrews, For it is impossible for those that were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew themselves again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. From those verses right there, we understand something what kind of happened with Moses. When Jesus was taken to trial before Pilate, there was Pilate, a professional judge. That's why he was governor of that, of that providence in, in Jerusalem. He knew pretty much like most people hold trials all the time. A man's guilty, a man's innocent. He knows when a man's you know, uh, guilty. He's a trial all he can to try to talk his way out of it and do everything he can to, to prove his innocency. But Jesus didn't, couldn't hardly say a word. said very few words. His Bible plainly tells us when you read the, the account that, that Pilate knew that they delivered him up for jealousy, that the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus because of the following that he had. Amen. He knew looking at Jesus, questioning Jesus, he was an innocent man. Three times he said, I find no fault in him. But the religious crowd, demon-inspired, called for his blood. They said, crucify him. But even though, you know, many of those people who were in that crowd that were saying crucify him, I'm sure as the gospel progressed and, you know, the day of Pentecost came and the and the and the you know the gospel was being preached, and you read the testimony in the book of Acts. Even how many of the priesthood you know believed on the Lord Jesus. You know many were turning to him. I'm sure a lot of them that were crying crucified came and they repented and said, "Lord, I am sorry. I didn't know what I was doing." Paul himself was probably one of them that was there, because Paul said, "The things I did, I did in ignorance." See, I'm the chief of sinners. I fought against his church. But when the Lord opened his eyes. He realized his guilt and he repented. God used him mightily. Next thing, that's what we have to look at, people. He understood more than any other man what was taking place in the Old Testament typology, how the Lord allowed his son to be smitten and smitten only once. He wrote then to Christians, I don't know what happened in their life. I don't know what event. Did someone do them something wrong? Did they, did, did they seem like sometime there was delay in their prayers? Did they see through that time there were many wars going on, many of the countrymen being killed? I don't know what took place, but all I know is this Paul is telling them that if they backslide, and let's say Christians sometimes backslide. Amen. It's not God's will. God wishes you it never would happen, but it does happen among backsliders. But one thing about backsliders, they didn't backslide because they lost their faith in God, because whatever it is, the sin overcame them, and they went back to the old lifestyle. But they knew in order to get back with, right, with, right with God, they had to come back to Christ. Amen. They knew they'd have to repent, and God promised that. He would heal the backslider. So it's not an impossible case if someone went away from God. It's this one called the apostate, Amen. who said, well, I don't believe that no longer. I don't think that Jesus is the only way. I think there could be other ways. And, you know, I, you know they just plainly give up on what God plainly revealed unto them. Yes, 
He's talking about those now that for some reason or another, it's impossible for them to come back. Because why? They were once enlightened. Verse 4. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted of the good word of God. And of the powers of the world to come. You see, it gets to a place where it says that, uh, like this. Well, I'm going to move to that in a little while. But understand this. Why did he say it's such a dangerous sin? Because he said, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him in open shame. That is like someone that was there the day of, uh, uh, when Jesus was on trial. And, and there he was. He was on the, the, the Lord's side. Like the disciples that followed away off and said, man, they don't know what they're doing. Even Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But after a while, because of life circumstances, after seeing Jesus die, it's like going back in the crowd and say, yeah, kill him. Yeah. Crucify him. It can't be done. Christ will never be crucified twice. Great spiritual lessons, people. I need you to go in the book of Hebrews. You're there now. And into the ninth chapter. The ninth chapter. <coughs> the ninth chapter. Starting in verse 12, I'll be bouncing, so follow me. Ninth chapter 12, verse, neither by the blood of goats and bulls, but by his own blood he entered in once, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered to the holy place every year with the blood of others, but then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now... Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as they're pointing to man, once to die, after this the judgment. So Christ was once, notice the word that we're after is once. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And in chapter 10. I'm going to read a small verse, verse 5. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body that has prepared me. Mm. Verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from hence expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 17, Their sins and I, their iniquities I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Okay. Let's go in Romans chapter 10. Take you through the Bible. And one day, people, you probably won't need to use your Bible. And that's when you get to heaven. Amen. Amen. But as long as we're down here, we'll take the safe course, the yeah. course of going through the Word of God. Now listen. 
Why are we saying all these things, people? Because we see that in the wilderness that God provided the children of Israel, I mean to millions of people plus all their cattle, an impossible occurrence. Of all the things we would say, well, maybe God would drill or have a hole open up in the earth and there water would spring up out of the earth and give them all the water they want. Or maybe he'd carve a, you know, cause a, you know, the, the, the snow caps to melt and there he would create a river and they'd give them water to drink. But he used the most impossible situation you could, making water come out of a... It wasn't one on the ground, evidently it was one that was standing upright. If there's any miracle that we say we call skepticism, that would be one of them. Water out of a rock. Rocks are not known to give water. Rocks give forth <laughs> nothing. But yet God performed a miracle. Because the symbolism that he was smote, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the wound that was on that rock, that's where the water poured out. And God was so angry when, so displeased with Moses and Aaron when they smote it again and then smote it twice. That should never happen again. There's a lesson of us getting saved. Now, we know how the gospel is presented. It's, the, it's, it's told, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There's a lesson we have to learn in hearing the gospel. God is never going to have another time where Jesus will come back into this world, and there he's going to present himself before all the world as a great miracle worker, professing or proving that he was the Son of God. Every time he spoke something, he demonstrated with the miracles that God demonstrated through him, his Father, and that there was no doubt. Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, Believe the very works that I do. Amen. There was no doubt in who Jesus was. Yep. But he's not going to come back again before all the world and dare allow men to crucify him. It's never going to happen again. It's a finished, a finished work that will never be repeated. But it's a work that will never end. That because of that life-giving uh, source, that because of Jesus that was smote, his side was open and out came blood and water, there he'd give life into the world. So that when the gospel is preached, as far as I know, every one of you that got saved didn't say, well, Lord, I want to see that, if it was true. I want to see the crucifixion. I want to see if Jesus really died for my sin. I don't think any of y'all ever said that. Huh? Hello? No, why? In verse 4, I'm going to start with, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, God demands of everyone who wants to be saved one major, well, it's, it's two parts to it, but one major part. It's the belief without ever having to see. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend up into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. None of y'all said that when you got saved, well, if you could take me to heaven, if I could see Christ, see the Nail prints in his hands, his side. You know, if I could see that, then I'm going to believe what, you, what the preachers are saying. No, he said, how about this? Or, who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. And none of us want to go check the tomb. I mean, the report's already been given. The tomb is empty. empty, just as he said. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteousness, and with the mouth confesses men to salvation. For the scripture said, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. When we say it talks about believe that God raised the dead, it has to imply that Christ died in your place. As we read through all these things, the rock was smitten, and out of it came forth water. Jesus said in John chapter 7, which you were reading this past week, he cried at the last day of the feast and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and out of his innermost being, out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living waters. But this spake he of the, the Holy Ghost, which they that believed on him might receive, for he was not yet glorified. What should be coming out of our innermost beings? But living water. Where does the living water come from? All right, now. Do you ever get thirsty since you've been a Christian? Amen. Have you ever had needs that come up and didn't know how to accomplish it? How to, how to lay hold to it? Amen. We understand this simply because the devil uses that that, that. that, you know, that we go through trials. We, we, we face temptations. We, 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 we get the devil coming always, you know, and he tells us, you know, well, you're not saved. You know, you failed too much. You, you know, the reason why you, you, God's not hearing you is this and that and one word after another, but the Bible tells us we have to maintain a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. Remember, Paul said, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and the two. You can't separate the two. We understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came from heaven, incarnate in flesh, became you know, a child, grew into manhood. God greatly you know, uh, anointed him and he manifested his glory. But also it says that he laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins and there that one sacrifice I read to you in Romans uh, Hebrews chapter 10 by that one sacrifice he's forever sanctified them that believe that he went back into heaven there he sits on the right hand of God the Father there in his hand maintains the scars and the sides still has the spirit thrust that that we have to appropriate uh, uh, you know the benefits of what he suffered by, by only one way it's the way that the Bible calls the way of faith when God told Moses the second time only speak. speak. Meaning when you speak, just stand back and believe that what God promised is going to happen. Because the atonement had been made. Well, people, we have to look at something in our lives, people. After Jesus died, you could read in Romans, I mean in the Gospel of John chapter 20, but I don't think y'all have been through it already. Eight days, you know, Jesus appeared that same day that he rose from the dead to the disciples. One was missing, Thomas. I always came to know as Thomas a doubter, but I know a lot of doubters. <laughs> Eight days later, you know, he appeared because Thomas said, I ain't going to believe unless I can put my hand in his, you know, if you see the, put my, my fingers in the nail holes in his, his palms and thrust my hand to the side. I ain't going to believe. Oh. Eight days later, as they're all behind locked doors, the Lord appeared again. <laughs> he said, Thomas, he said, come, put your fingers in these nail prints, stick your hand in my side, be not unbelieving, but be believing. He didn't have to touch. He seen. And he said, my Lord and my God. And he worshipped him. But it's what Jesus said that has to interest all of us people. Jesus said that because you've, you know, uh, you know, Thomas, because you've seen, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Yet believe. I don't know if that generation was there when Moses smote the Lord on that rock that day. It was 40 years later. Very doubtful. Next generation raised up, heard the same gospel story. How 40 years earlier, God, you know, Moses smote that rock. I don't know if they could see the Lord or not. 
but he smote that rock and out came water. But this time, uh, the Lord said, no longer. It's not going to happen again. Moses speak and they're going to see what's going to happen. Okay now. People, here we are today. Whatever your need is in life. Whatever it is, that, that, that whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's financial. Whatever the need is, you know, the Lord's not going to be crucified again. Amen. For none of us. It's been done. It's a finished work. It's an accomplished work. It's a work that is once done, forever sealed. He's sitting in heaven on the right hand of the Father. How do, we, how do we receive the benefits of Christ's suffering? How do we get the water of life? How do we, we get the, uh, all that it was promised to us in this word? Same way what he said. You're going to have to speak Mark the 11th chapter. Mark the 11th chapter. The disciples here in this instance questioning Jesus about a miracle that had taken place. A fig tree the day before Jesus passed by to get something to eat, saw there's nothing on it, cursed it, and typified, you know, uh, it was a spiritual lesson in it. But anyhow, they realized the next day when they passed by it, that same tree was withered from the roots up. Yeah. Quickly that happened. And Jesus told them this great principle. Verse 22, And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whatsoever, that whosoever, They'll say unto this mountain. What is normally mountains made out of? Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. There's the principle. Here's the fact of it, which you have to put into practice. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe, believe that you receive them and you Okay, there's a principle. None of this, our relationship with God is not dependent upon our goodness. By the amount of religious works we can do, not the amount of money that we give. Our salvation is based upon one thing, the rock that was smitten 2,000 years ago. And because of that, the Bible says it's through his blood we have access unto God. Because of this, the Bible says, because Jesus Christ became one of us, he was tempted in all points just as we were tempted. Therefore, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything points back to Christ, and that's the only reason why God hears us. In fact, you can read in Luke 11 chapter where Jesus you know, was telling us that, you know, God is, is, is a heavenly Father, that if you ask the uh, bread, He's not going to give you a serpent. If you ask for an egg, He's not going to give you, uh, you know, a, a scorpion. He said, but, you know, which of you, you know, having, you know, a child would... would he said, your heavenly father is not so. Shall not rather, you know, your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him. There comes the first thing, that relationship. Everybody in the world, no matter what religion they are, all claim to have God as their father. But what is the basis of it? If your basis of salvation is not based upon what Christ Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross to bring us back into the father, not only we have no basis for salvation, we have no basis for answered prayers, or whether for our needs or situations in life. So therefore, he said this now, because of you belief in what God has provided in his son Jesus, therefore I send you what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe what? You see, I was always started just believing that God hears me. But yes, God hears me. But his only reason why he hears me is because of his son, Jesus Christ. 
If I look at myself, well, God, look at me. I deserve it. I understand if I live the best life I could. And then listen, I, I did ultimate sacrifices. It still wouldn't get me one favor from God. The Bible says all the righteous deeds of men are as filthy rags in his sight. I mean, that eliminates any way that I can say, well, God, you owe this to me. He owes no man anything. I'm careful every time we pray to say this, Lord, I know I'm not worthy and deserving of anything from you. But it's only because of your son Jesus and the price that he paid that I can. And so we go on a little bit more in Matthew, the 7th chapter, and I'm not going to keep you much longer. In Matthew, the 7th chapter. Verse 7. Ask, it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, it, receive it. Him that seek it, knock it. And to, him, uh, to him that seek it, find it. To him that knock it, it shall be opened. The 20th, first chapter. 21st chapter of Matthew. And verse 22. And all things whatsoever shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. Hence, hence people, that one word you have to hinge on. That word believing. In the world which we live in is called humanistic faith. You have to have faith in yourself. You have to have faith in your ability. You have to have a positive attitude. You have to realize that, you know, if you persist long enough, work hard enough, you can achieve anything you want to in this world. That's humanism. It's not Christianity. Christianity teaches us that a man must realize his utter uselessness. That without him he can do nothing. His life is dependent upon Christ. How does a man touch Christ? No other way but belief in him. What kind of belief is that? Is it just a head knowledge? No. It's one that realizes the facts of the gospel. That God sent his only son to the world. He was eternal. He was there before the foundation of the world. He wasn't Michael the archangel. He was the second person of the Godhead. He was as much God as God, uh, as God the Father is. But he took upon human flesh and prepared for him a body. And that body suffered untold agony. Like no one ever did. But all of it was in response to man's salvation, the payment, what it took. We read throughout all the Old Testament, the animals that were sacrificed, the blood that flowed. All these typifying the coming Son of God who would lay down his life and his blood would flow on Calvary's cross. And that we now, 2,000 years later, that same rock that gave forth that water, Christ is still giving water. This book only testifies the fact that happened 2,000 years ago. Throughout eternity, the major fact in heaven is this. You're going to see a lamb as though it was slain. Whenever you see Christ, when you get to heaven, the one thing you're going to recognize about him. You're still going to have them say a friend. We've always understood, you know, if you're sick here on this earth, you know, and you, you know if you're dying of cancer or you, you've got tore up in a, in a wreck or eaten by sure, I don't know, when you get to heaven, you're going to be whole, evidently. We always said, I believe it's true. God don't heal you here. He'll heal you there. You'll be whole one day. Except for one person in heaven called Christ. 
He's going to bear the scars. We're going to look at the wonders of heaven, and we're going to wonder how we ever got here. And when we look at that, we're going to realize why. It's because of Christ's blood that was shed. You believe that you're going to heaven because of that? It is. What if I was to tell you I found another way? You'd be a liar. That's right, boy. Just trying you out. Right. Only one way. It's not, listen, there's two points to your believing. Jesus Christ. And his death. You can't go around them two facts. If he wouldn't have died, if he'd have came into this world, and before he died, ascended up to heaven, wouldn't have done us any good. He'd still be alive in heaven. But we couldn't be saved. Forgiveness is not conferred upon us because we ask. Forgiveness is conferred upon us because a price was paid. An atonement was made. So today, people, I remember when I first got saved, one of the most astonishing facts. I, mean, I, I, I guess every time I'd go to church, you know, being a new Christian, you didn't know, didn't know God at all, just new religion. You know, in fact, I didn't realize, man, the things that, that took place. Not only, when, man, I, I thought that was enough. When I got saved, man, my name wrote in the Lamb Book of Life, and I'm headed to glory. I mean, I got eternal life. But, man, I didn't realize, like it said in Psalm 107, you know, that uh, who forgiveth all my iniquities, who healeth all my diseases, who gives me all these benefits. I didn't realize that not only was I born again, name wrote, in the land book of life. But I have access to God. Right, right. And Jesus said whatever it is I need. I can come boldly. To the throne of grace. And I would obtain mercy. And I would always find grace to help. In time of need. That whatever it is Jesus said constantly. He repeated to us. We were just reading the book of John. Jesus said I'm no longer going to pray for you. Like you know I'm with you now. And I did the praying. But he said time's coming. I'm going to the Father. You're not going to ask me anymore. You're going to ask the Father in my name. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you that your joy might be full. Why? Because of the rock that was smitten. We read to you, and I started off in 19th chapter of John. In truth, no longer shadow, no longer type. That rock was smitten. They hit him with their hands. They beat him. They plucked his beard. Put a crown of thorns on him. And they nailed him a wooden being they pierced a sword a spear into his side they took him down from that cross and put him in a rock tomb three days later he rose from the dead the tomb was open out of it came the living water this living water is a person called Jesus Christ Yet we're so much like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Lord, we're thirsty. <laughs> Lord, uh, I mean, if you don't come, we're going to die of thirsty. We're going to go back in the world. God forbid. There's nothing back there but scorched ground and desert. That's right. Man, look at around you right now what's going on in the world, people. Everything, it seems like man's doing is falling apart. I mean, there's judgment seems like on every hand. Because the people are turning away from the truth, from the one rock that could save them. Amen. Now all of a sudden we see, you know, we see the church in such a precarious predicament. That now they want to go back in all kinds of works and change all kinds of things. That There's only one way. That's through Christ Jesus. They've forsaken the right way, it says. 
the rock that bore them, the rock that gave them drink, and they've gone into idols and worship everything in the Old Testament. There's only one, one rock that can give water. How do you get water from that rock from now on? Ask and speak to him. Lord Jesus, I have a need. Not based upon my goodness, but upon what you provided for me. Amen. I claim that Amen. and stand upon that word. And you know what he promised? Hallelujah. You'll have it. Right. You'll flow water again. That rock still gives water. That's right. You can smite on it all you want. You can beat on it. You can hit it. That ain't going to do it. That only brings shame to Jesus. Out of all he'd done for the children of Israel, what didn't he do? Listen. Here they found themselves one time as slaves. Highly oppressed. So oppressed got to the point where they said, okay, every baby, male, the male child that is born, take him and throw him in the river now. How would you like to live under that condition? Here you were a slave already. They work you from dawn to dust, from can to can't. <laughs> they got you barely enough food. They want to keep you weak enough, just enough to work, but not enough to rebel. Yeah. They oppress you. They, they did everything they can. Now your children have to be died. And then all of a sudden, because of the horde taskmasters, it says their groans and cries came up to God. So God did something about it. He knew it would happen. He, for, for, he uh, prophesied to, to Abraham that your children would be for 400 years in a strange land. And after that time, a nation is going to rise up that's going to oppress them enough until finally they start crying out. And next thing you know, there come Moses across the desert. Let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? Nope. I don't know who the Lord is, and neither will I let your people go. Get back to work. Hey, y'all make sure y'all bake it twice as hard on them. Take away the straw, they get their own straw. I want the same amount of bricks made as before. And boy, you thought it was hard before? Children of Israel said, now what you did, Moses, is worse now. <laughs> Even Moses went back to the Lord and said, God, it ain't working. You only made it worse for them. What did God, don't worry, I'm not finished yet. You go back to Pharaoh again. Yeah. No, he went there the first time. He demonstrated who he was. I still don't know the Lord. Go stick it right over that and turn the water into blood. He went on with ten plagues. And finally, every time, Pharaoh began to crack. But every time, God would relent. You know, he, and, 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 you know, he changed the circumstance. He changed his heart again. Yeah. But after the tenth time, after the death of the firstborn, he said, right. go, go. Amen. Speaks volumes, people. You're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes, you know, you're saying, Pharaoh, you know, Satan, let me go. And what did the devil, you know, he's not too swift to want to let you go. He doesn't seem to be in a big hurry. But that's okay, God said, before this is over with, He's not only going to let you go. He's going to load you up with silver and gold and raiment. He said, y'all going out with a high hand? People are going to be telling y'all, bye. Y'all go on. <laughs> Gave them everything they had. They looked back. There was a ruined economy. There was a land that laid in waste. All the fields were burned over. The trees were broke down. There wasn't a leaf left. Yeah. Grasshopper, locusts, saved everything. I mean, the, the fire and hail destroyed all the rest. They looked back. The only thing there was a few soldiers left, a little bit of army. And they went back after the after the children of Israel to bring them back. And before that was over with, by the time they got on the Red Sea, there wasn't a Pharaoh, there wasn't an army. There was nothing left back there. Hallelujah. It's funny the children of Israel kept saying, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. 
you can't go back. The bridges have been burnt. But does that mean you're just standing in the wilderness waiting for nothing? Promises are still good. God said, I'm bringing you into a land that flows with milk and honey. Every opportunity they miss because of one thing. God showed them time and time and time and time again his power. Once they got into the wilderness, they seen something the other nation never seen. In the morning, they'd wake up, that little bitty seed-looking thing. Manna. I don't know what it was, but for 40 years, they ate it. When they were hungry and wanted meat, told you earlier, God provided them quail for a month at a time. When they were thirsty, water came out of a rock. Whatever the need was, God met it. But when they came again to this place, what angered God was that, Lord, the need is here. Why didn't you let us die in Egypt? Why did you ever call us into this walk? Why did you ever let us get this far? Now look where we're at. No, it's just the next step. The rod ain't going to be used no more. It was laid to his own son. So the price has been paid. What is it that you need? The price is made. The price is paid. The promises are still real. Things haven't changed. You have to ask and believe in what God has provided for your life. Amen? And amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. David said, I had fainted lest I'd live to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And Lord, here we are, Lord, this morning. You've begun a great work in us. Paul was persuaded that you had begun a good work in us. Would complete it till the day of Christ. Lord, Paul also said things that, Lord, almost astounding, Lord. Sometime in troubles and trials we may faint. Lord God, we may doubt. But you said he's able to present us faultless before your presence with exceeding joy. Lord, I don't know how everything is done, but all I know is what promise you made us, you are able to do it, Lord. You're not an idle God that has eyes that cannot see and ears that can't hear and a mouth that can't speak and arms that can't reach out and save. You're the living God. There's nothing impossible. Lord God, you astounded even the best of the men of God who knew you well. You came up with ways and, Lord God, that, that, that was beyond their belief, but yet, Lord, you manifested your mighty miracle. Unto us is given the mighty revelation how you gave us your only son because that one great atonement that he sacrificed for at Calvary's cross because of our belief in what you have provided for us Lord we can attain all things in life through Christ Jesus our Lord Father I ask if there's anyone here Lord this day that backslidden in heart I ask you to touch them and draw them back unto you Father I ask for anyone dear God that, that has a lack in their life that you would open their hearts and cause them to see Lord God that the need has been provided by their belief in what you have given them even your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If they need a healing in their body, dear God, help them to realize, dear God, Christ has paid the ultimate price that none should do without if they place their faith in what you provided. In Jesus Christ's name.